Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. We have a really interesting show for you today. We have Lauren going on the show, and she is going to be talking about psychedelics, about psilocybin, which is the extract of mushrooms. Um, we're going to be talking about ketamine-assisted therapy and other psychedelic therapies that, that people can do and how they can combine psychedelics uh, or you know do psychedelic-assisted therapy psychedelic assisted talk therapy and things of that nature to really help with depression, with anxiety, with maybe end of life circumstances. And, you know, anyone that's just looking to expand their consciousness, that's looking to create new brain patterns. We talk about what happens physiologically in the brain when you do psilocybin and psychedelic assisted type therapies and how they can be really good for people that, you know, kind of feel like, you know, they're doing talk therapy and they're really not making the progress they're wanting to and and how doing uh, psychedelics or psychedelic assisted therapy can be very expansive and people can make the shifts that they're looking for and you feel great while you're doing it. So why not? So we talk about some of the great research uh, that's going on and how many of these therapies are about to be legalized, like the MDMA therapy is going to be legalized next year. And uh, the, uh, I believe the, the psilocybin therapy is going to be legalized in a couple of years and coming to a therapy clinic near you very soon. So I want you to know about these things. I know you guys listening to this show are concerned about your emotional well-being and, you know, detoxing emotionally. And so I created a free masterclass that you can take, and it's all about how to do an emotional detox, how to address trauma and how emotional trauma and what that is exactly, what is emotional trauma exactly, what that looks like and why the majority of us have experienced some level of emotional trauma, even if you feel like you weren't abused or, or whatnot as a child, even neglect can uh, cause emotional trauma and how all emotional trauma is responsible for 65% or more of physical health issues. So I created this amazing masterclass that goes over all of that research that you can check out for free at emo-detox.com. So our guest today, Lauren Going, she's an LCSWC, and she's a leading educator in the field of psychedelic assisted therapy and founder of Interpath Wellness, Baltimore's first psychedelic assisted therapy center. And she began her work in psychedelic therapy assisting with some of the major studies at uh, Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research conducted by Dr. Roland Griffiths, Dr. Bill Richards, and Mary Cosimano. And she trained in psilocybin therapy under Dr. Brian Richards at the Aquilino Cancer Institute, featured in the Netflix series, uh, How to Change Your Mind. And she's also trained in MDMA therapy with Dr. Rick Doblin at MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, and trained in ketamine-assisted therapies at Prati, the Psychedelic Research and Training Institute. And Lauren is a trauma specialist trained in internal family systems, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is EMDR, and several other somatic therapies. And she's also studied with uh, Richard Schwartz, Bessel van der Kolk, who I worship, uh, Dan Siegel, and uh, Laurel Parnell, among others. And Lauren has been on faculty with organizations uh, such as BodyWise Institute and DMV Ketamine Training Center. And you can learn more about Lauren and can work with her at innerpathbaltimore.com. Dr. Lauren, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. 
So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, your, your history and why you got so interested in psilocybin? Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to. So, um, I've been a therapist for about 15 years and, um, I was noticing that not much was helping things like trauma and depression and anxiety. And so became really interested in the research being done at Hopkins and from Baltimore and that's where that's located. Um, and just saw so many amazing results coming out about how helpful these psychedelic treatments are for things like trauma, depression, and anxiety. So just went down like a whole rabbit hole of learning, have gotten trained in many psychedelic assisted therapies and just seeing like results from clients and all of that. And I have my own personal experiences of healing as well. that have been really powerful. Yeah. And so what are some of the mental health issues that the psychedelics and like things like psilocybin are shown to be helpful for? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there is a lot uh, the main ones that research has really focused on are depression, um, especially depression with psilocybin and ketamine in particular, really helping, um, major depression and treatment resistant depression, um, anxiety at the end of life or with life threatening illnesses and trauma, especially for, um, veterans and people who have experienced trauma in childhood, um, and there's some really interesting research going on for uh, people with autism, eating disorders, um, bipolar disorder, and psychosis as well. So there's a lot happening in that area. Okay, great. Yeah, and I've tried, you know, some of these things, you know, like high school, I've tried, you know, the mushrooms and psilocybin. And, you know, I've had, I had one time I had a photo shoot, I was exhausted. And the, the photographer was like, here, I have some microdose of LSD. It'll just, it changed my life. And, you know, he was like depressed <laughs> his whole life. And uh, he started doing this and it, it was like just really, really high quality, low dose LSD, kind of similar yeah. to psilocybin. And, and it, I was in a great mood. Let me tell you, I had an amazing yes. photo shoot and I went from being exhausted and I was, I had, I just wasn't feeling well emotionally that day, but I needed to perform all day yeah. and it worked. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I felt unbelievable for days after that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I also had another experience with, um, I had a friend of mine depressed and I've just known this guy a long time, started doing psilocybin, like mm -hmm. micro dosing it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally different person. I mean, wow. just completely different person, wow. more adventurous, more risk-taking, more like, you know, just living his life and yeah. really happy for him, yeah. really happy for him. So there's, I've seen this personally just, um, and so I just, this is really, really interesting that it's being these drugs or typically mm -hmm. have been illegal have mm -hmm. been, are really, uh, you know, taking, you know, it's being taken seriously by researchers and doctors for these various uses. Um, so is there like a history around this? Like, so why are psychedelics yeah. just now kind of being allowed to be researched and considered for these uses? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. And thanks for sharing those, those personal relationship to, to microdosing. I'm a big believer in microdosing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really interesting when you think of psychedelics, there's often considered three waves of psychedelics. And the first is indigenous use that's been around for thousands and thousands of years, really since like the dawn of humankind. And then the second wave in the Western civilization came in the 50s to 60s with um, clinical use and research around LSD and psilocybin. This was the time of um, Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert and all these kind of known figures. Um, 
and their fervor for psychedelic use got out of control um, and really like took the legitimate research that was being done and got it shut down. Um, so that there was really this prohibition period from really the, the late 60s, early 70s until 2000. And in 2000 is when the third wave began. And that was um, Hopkins, actually, right here in Baltimore, where I'm located, um, got it put back on the map. Um, they received FDA approval to do uh, studies with psilocybin for life-threatening illnesses. And it was quite a profound study where the majority of participants said that the psilocybin journey was one of the five most meaningful experiences of their life. Um, and the results for, you know, depression and anxiety with the life-threatening illness, um, many people had cancer in that study was mind-blowing. And so many other universities and study centers have since picked up. And now 23 years later, we're really at the precipice of this coming fully into clinical use, multiple substances um, being treated at clinics and being very well respected. So it's, it's a lot has happened in the last 23 years. Yeah, that's great. Because I mean, I, I had another, um, you know, a friend of mine, she's my hairdresser, actually. <laughs> she actually, I live in Mexico. There's a lot of, you know, different medicine men here. And so she did yeah. this uh, frog medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the, the the kombu, I guess. And uh, there's a lot of, lots of different types, apparently. And so she did that. And she had this profound experience where she asked, you know, why am I not in a relationship? Why have I not been in a relationship mm-hmm. for so long? And she had this insight that it was because of, you know, her father saying, you're never going to meet anyone like me or good enough for me. And I'm going to take care of you. And, mm-hmm. you know, in whatever. So she just had like this uh, resistance there and she had this insight into it during this experience. And I, I hear this over and over and over. I don't, I very rarely hear people, oh, I hate that. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> or, you know, people always, they have these profound insights or they have really good experiences. And, um, but certainly there's some people that uh, may, you know, maybe they're under the guidance of someone, they get too much or it's just not right or, or, you know, bad intention of the medicine man or something like that, but, or the doctor rather sure, in this case. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a little bit more about um, what kind of, what kind of uh, medications that you think or substances are that you think hold the most promise or some of the more uh, like mm-hmm. research, more research you could tell us about? Yeah, yeah, there there are a few right now, and um, and I think it's really a combination of the effectiveness, but also the length of the journey. Because with something like LSD, that can easily last upwards of uh, ten hours. It's not really feasible to <laughs> to have that in you know in a clinician's office. I mean, it's just the amount, the cost, and the the time is really extensive. So the main substances that have been researched is psilocybin is the primary one. Um, and yeah, there's been studies at NYU, tons of studies here at Hopkins as well. There's been some you know, smaller studies on microdosing psilocybin as well. Um, and so psilocybin should be in clinical use within the next couple of years throughout the US. That's what is kind of forecasted, it's still unknown, but already in clinical use in Colorado and Oregon and a few other places. Um, And then MDMA is really kind of the next power hitter. And that is all the research is being done by an organization called MAPS. Um, And that's been their mission since the 80s to get it back in clinical use um, because of the benefits 
combined with therapy. Um, and so that is looking to be in clinical use early next year. So really, really soon. And then uh, the substance I work most with is ketamine because ketamine is in clinical use and is also think of duration as only an hour and a half to two hours of a journey and has profound benefits for treatment resistant depression, suicidality, um, and all kinds of other things like trauma. So, so that's already being used. And how is that working? So you mentioned trauma. Mm -hmm. So how is, uh, how are these medications helping with trauma and how does trauma affect the brain also? How is that affecting us? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. Trauma is not something that's been well understood until recently, really the last like 20, 20, 30 years. And one of the big insights about trauma that has really changed kind of the lay of the land in mental health is that it can't really be healed, um, ongoing, lasting traumatic effects by talk therapy alone, because talk therapy is, you know, it's it's really engaging someone at the prefrontal cortex, the thinking level. Um, and that's not where trauma we know is stored. It's not in the verbal kind of thinking level. It's more body-based. It's more emotionally based. It's in the brainstem and the limbic system, which are not the thinking center of the brain. So in the past, it's really been treated with things like psychoanalysis, talk therapies, medications that have done very little to be helpful, um, very marginally been helpful. So what we know is that in trauma, the amygdala, the smoke detector of the brain that really like detects alarm gets overactivated. And so it's kind of firing off at all different triggers. Um, And for many people, what happens is the hippocampus gets damaged. And so traumatic memories can't be processed and moved from, you know, this is something that happened and now it's in the past. And I have this um, disconnected memory that is not emotionally overwhelming. Uh, And so, yeah. And so what happens is in trauma, all those memories are coming up as if they're happening in the moment. And when I say memories, it might be a thinking memory, but also might be a body-based memory, like the feeling of the experience of trauma, the emotional experience of trauma. And so it feels like it's happening again all the time and people are really suffering with this. So what's been known to help is what's known as bottom-up approaches that really work with the body, that work more from a nervous system-based place to help to integrate the traumatic, um, the traumatic memories that are really stuck in the system from where they are stuck. And psychedelics, which is really interesting, is known, um, really all that we've mentioned so far are known to downregulate and quiet the amygdala, which is huge. And so when you're doing psychedelic assisted therapy with someone, if the amygdala is quieted down, then they're not getting flooded and overwhelmed by the traumatic memory as it comes up. And then those memories can be processed. There's also a downregulation of the default mode network, which is kind of our self-referential thinking uh, network of the brain. So then there really is this cl- there there really is this ability to um, get out of the thinking brain and get into where the trauma is stored and actually create resolution from there. And I, I've had many friends that have had trauma and you see that they are on high alert, like that yeah. amygdala is looking for threats in their environment. And they even, even see things that aren't even there. 
or like yeah. uh, interpret things as threats that aren't like the, the, the relationship suffers as a result yep. of that lack of trust and mm-hmm. just creates a lot of problems for them when that amygdala is on high, high alert, you know? And so, uh, you know, and what I understand also is that trauma is very much, you know, frequencies that are stored in our energy field mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but let's talk about like psychedelic integrative therapy, so how does how does that work exactly and how mm-hmm. how does that differ from say talk therapy? Yeah, it's a really really good question. It's it's very very interesting. So yeah, psychedelic assisted therapies have three phases is kind of a way of thinking about it. And the first phase is really preparation for the psychedelic experience, um, which is really important because you're really opening someone up to these very expanded states. And like you were saying before, you know, most people can have very profound healing experiences, um, but there is the risk of having negative, adverse, or even traumatic experiences because you're so open to everything. Um, So in preparation, that's really the time to help someone um, really become clear on their mindset. What are they coming in with? What is their intention around this journey? You know, what, what healing are they looking for? Um, What expectations do they have? Expectations can really get in the way. If someone comes into a psychedelic journey and they want to heal their relationship with their mother, but that's not really where the journey is taking them. They could just loop on, oh, I'm so disappointed. This isn't what I wanted. And that can really get magnified in those spaces. Um, So in the prep, we go over expectations, intentions, safety, things like physical touch are really important to go over because it's an altered state. Um, So want that to be super clear. And just, yeah, just developing rapport because healing can't happen unless there's safety. So if a person doesn't feel safe with their practitioner, there's not much that's going to come of it that's beneficial. So that's all the prep. And then you move into, we sometimes call it the dosing session, where the psychedelic is accompanying therapy. And it's said that the way to think of it is that the healing isn't really coming from the psychedelic, but it's really coming from someone's inner inner healer that's inside of them. I like to call it the embodied um, intuitive intelligence. So it's kind of like removing the layers so that the part of the person, really not the part, the ground, the being can kind of come and and really heal what is stuck psychically, um, emotionally. So similar to like when you cut your arm and it's not anything a doctor would do to heal it. It's the body's own reaction that knows how to heal the wound. It's similar in our psychic emotional state. So that's really where the therapist is supporting. They're not um, being directive. They're not, you know, um, offering interpretations. They're really helping the person to access their own healing intelligence. Um, And then it can be combined with modalities like internal family systems, parts work, somatic type of body-based therapies. There's a lot that can come in the dosing session. And then the third uh, phase is integration. And this phase we talk about as the most important phase. And we sometimes say like the real journey doesn't begin until the dosing session ends. So then the true journey of integrating back into life, like with the insight someone has, with um, with their new perspectives, with you know their, their shifts within, how do they integrate that into their life? And that is really important because what I've seen is there's this neuroplastic window that opens where changes can really be made. But if someone doesn't really implement 
those and they kind of go back to those old habitual ways um, quickly. So it's really important. We say about like 72 hours after the dosing session to do some integration work with the therapist to really begin to look at what is the meaning of this? What kind of practices can you begin to instill in your life? I can see where people can do this type of therapy and have resistance because it can be kind of strong, you know, the, the change in your state and like that flood of serotonin and all those feel good chemicals and all that. I can see where some people do have resistance, uh, to that. And you just, you have to just go with the flow. You just, you have to just kind of go with what's happening and relax into it. Um, and so what is happening neurologically with these psychedelics? Mm -hmm. You said, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, Mm -hmm. you you know, obviously we're trying to break some, some patterns that, that neurological wiring that maybe these patterns that aren't working for us. Uh, but what, how, how are the psychedelics kind of assisting that and what's going on neurologically? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. Um, so there is so much that we do not know about what is happening neurologically on, on any level in the brain, but we do know a few things that, you know, is, um, is documented. Uh, so one, there is uh, a little bit, like we talked about before the downregulation of the amygdala, um, which can allow traumatic memories, um, people to not be flooded, to be able to talk about things, experience things that they couldn't be for. So those can actually be processed and integrated. So that's a big one. Um, there is also a glutamate surge in the brain. And this is really connected with cognition, learning, and memory. And also with the um, increase in the growth of new neurons and synaptic connections, the the connections between neurons. So that's really where the neuroplasticity comes from, is there's actually new growth of neurons and the connections. Um, And so if you look at, it's really interesting, if you look at a brain that's just functioning normally, you know, you'll have different areas of the brain talking, but if you have a brain and you introduce psilocybin, you will see there are there are a hundred times more connections of different parts of the brain talking that we're not talking before. Um, And so it's pretty wild. And that's, you know, one of the things that's understood about, you know, what happens with healing is that, you know, there, there are parts both of ourselves, we can see it in the brain that are disconnected that are not integrated. And so these substances really help with that connection and that, that integration as well. And so let's talk about ketamine therapy. So can you tell us what the, what ketamine therapy looks like? Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, I, that is something I am working with ketamine every week. And so I'm happy to share and talk about it. It's, it's, it's quite, quite a wonderful, um, quite a wonderful healing substance. So yeah, ketamine, what I really love about ketamine, I have to say, I was a little closed off to ketamine at first. I think the name associations with ketamine like really threw me and I wasn't really open to it, but I had trained um, in psilocybin assisted MDMA assistant. I wasn't able to use them because of the legality. And so a friend of mine that worked for Mindbloom, a big ketamine assisted therapy company, um, he suggested ketamine and really said, you're overlooking, you know, a lot of healing that's possible with ketamine. Why don't you give it a try and find out more? So I did, I did my own ketamine work and experienced a lot of healing, um, got very interested. And within a year opened my own ketamine assisted therapy center because I believed in the work so, so much. Um, And I'd say some of the things I love about ketamine is the journey is 90 minutes to two hours. So it's very, very accessible for people. It makes it much more affordable. You can fit it in a two hour block session. Um, 
the sessions are um, really, really profound where they can take people. And it can really range from being what we call like a therapy lubricant of really softening defenses, helping people to open up access to different parts of themselves and their body that they don't normally have access to all the way up at higher doses to a pretty profound psychedelic journey. Um, and so, yeah, we, we are with the person the entire time. It can look like there could be, you know, a good bit of talking during it and processing and, you know, things happening uh, with a specific modality, or a lot of times it's internal. The person's listening to music, they have their eye shades on and they're just on an internal journey. And then we're more integrating following the journey. Fantastic. Yeah. I have a friend of mine right now. He's actually doing a documentary on, Ooh. on psychedelic medications and, you know, and substances, and it's really fascinating. Um, so, so let's talk about the safety of some of these things. I mean, um, you know, I, I, my general impression is they're very, very safe, but um, can they cause brain damage? Do people have like long-term effects from them? Or like, I, that's a question I'm sure a lot of people are, are thinking about as well that are listening. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. There's actually um, a wonderful diagram. It's by David Nutt and his team out of the UK, and it's on the harm caused by substances. Um, and maybe I can send it for the show notes or something like that because it's quite it's quite profound. And you know, on this you have probably about twenty different substances, and the most harmful substance by far, even over heroin, is alcohol which is just for people to see, like most people, that's part of their life. It's pretty wild. And the least harm is psilocybin, virtually no harm to others and very little harm has been caused to, to people at any level. Um, and then LSD is just a little bit above that. MDMA is a little bit, and ketamine is still under the lower half. So they're all at the, the lesser harm. And, and as far as any damage um, to, the, to the brain, to the system, um, not, you know, there's not really much known with, you know, LSD, psilocybin, ketamine and chronic use can, can cause some issues, especially um, to the bladder. Um, but this is, this is people using multiple times a day ongoing, and it's not at all what we do or recommend in assisted work. Yeah. Like anything, you get too much of a good thing and cause problems. Um, but yeah, that's, that, right. that's interesting. Uh, you know, the psilocybin notes, mushrooms, essentially. Yes. It's, yes. are you, it's like the, an extract of the mushroom or exactly how is, how is that made? It's interesting. I was um, talking with Brian Richards, who is one, he's been one of the researchers at Hopkins and has done other work. And he actually got, you know, on the Hopkins campus, um, I forget what kind of mushroom, but they were actually growing mushrooms on the Hopkins campus because they got approval for that. So that was directly from mushrooms. Otherwise, there is a um, synthetic version of psilocybin that is um, identical to the one caused by magic mushrooms that is used in research as well. Um, but most psilocybin therapy is used with the, the extract from the mushrooms um, that is often just in an extract. Yeah. Just so it can be controlled. Yep. You're not going to take, oh, here's, here's one mushroom. <laughs> this yes. is that. So it's more, yes. you're controlling the dosage with the extract. That's right. Yep. Right. Okay, great. And so, and where's the field going? So I, I think it's really exciting that I didn't know the timeline of when things were going to be legalized. It's not something I've been following, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it holds promise. I mean, I've tried uh, many of these things personally and, you know, just think, wow, it's really, 
you know, you're in a really good mood, you know, after you, you do some of these substances and, um, but I can see where, you know, like I, like I said, I've had micro doses of some of these and you just feel fantastic. I went to like one bulletproof conference one time and then now it's called the biohacking conference. And a, a lot of the people were on psilocybin and, and micro dosing and everyone was in a great mood. That was uh, one of the, everyone was really, Every, everyone was really like connecting. Um, uh, everyone's on the same frequency on, in that conference. But but where is this field going? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good question. And um, some some things are, you know, I think people have some clear predictions about and a lot is still very um, to be, you know, to be seen. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the things that we feel pretty clear about, those who are, you know, working this field and following it really closely is that, you know, MDMA is on track to be in clinical use very shortly. Um, ketamine is only growing in um, use and popularity. Um, I think the thing, the caution with ketamine is it's it's being used a lot in infusion centers. And my personal belief is without the support and without the integration, it can actually, there. I've heard stories of harm. I've heard where the results are good at first, but aren't so good in the long run. So I think with proper care that can keep growing, um, psilocybin will be in clinical use, you know, in the next couple of years, which is big. Some people kind of forecast there will be like uh, psychedelic assisted therapy centers kind of almost in every town where you can go in and the different medicines will be available and prescribed. Um, there's a lot of concern about accessibility because how long these treatments last, um, uh, MDMA's model is to have two therapists. Um, they're estimating, you know, a single treatment, um, is going to cost around $20,000 for that. So, so there's a lot of questions in the field of how to make these things accessible to most people as well. Um, I was recently at a meeting for a coalition I'm part of to bring psychedelic medicine to Maryland where I live. And uh, one of the things they were bringing up was the possibility of a card like cannabis for psychedelics, which I found really interesting. Um, and there'd be similar requirements like you get a gun a permit for a gun uh, where you have to take some classes and learn about safe use and there'd be like a harm reduction phone number you can call if you have any challenges but just different ways to make it accessible so there's a lot of ideas being floated around right now yeah i mean we're talking a lot here about uh you know these psychedelic assisted therapies um but what about for like you know daily use are these things are going to be prescribed mm -hmm. to people to take daily or weekly or you know things of that nature yeah, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Yeah. And most of the research has been on these kind of macro doses, um these larger doses and and I think most of the, you know, medical professionals would really push for having the experience in a clinic um with therapists because of just the harm, you know, the things that could go wrong, the unknown factors outside that can happen. Um but as far as microdosing, that is a really interesting field. Um, that is a big uh, focus at my my clinic, Interpath. We do a lot of microdose coaching, um, microdose support around that. Um, it, there are less studies with microdosing, um, and so I don't know how that's going to like pan out when it's in clinical use. If there will be like, you know, prescribed in that in that ongoing way, that's kind of the jury's out about that. Um, and again, most of it has been in larger clinical use, but there, there is a lot going on as far as um, 
different ways that things are being used. So I, 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 I'm just staying open to kind of seeing where it goes. Yeah. And I, and I really, you know, urge people to be open to, to trying psychedelics. I think there is, there's some, there can be some stigma to, for many people that have been kind of like brainwashed in the media that these are bad. These are drugs. we got to say no to drugs and, you know, all that stuff, um, which is certainly, you know, warranted for sort of narcotics and things like that. But, um, but I think people, I, I urge people to kind of be open because I think these do just from my own personal experience and having done 10 years of talk therapy and, Ooh, is that the slow road to China? You know, it's just, you know, these, uh, I, I'm, open to anything that helps to, you know, I think access your unconscious and open yourself up. Cause I think a lot of people are, are, are very closed, fearful, uh, just don't want to deal with this stuff. And it can be just very buried under the surface where you're not just consciously aware of certain issues you need to talk about, which is required to talk about them and talk therapy. Um, so I think you can just really expand your mind and expand your consciousness and, uh, and deal with things, uh, like, like you mentioned that are, you're not wanting to deal with. Um, but yeah, so do you have any other, uh, maybe anything to add to that or any kind of, you know, parting thoughts to people that, you know, or been doing talk therapy and maybe ready to try something new? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would add when you're talking about the impressions and stigma, it's been very interesting to be a practitioner in this field. You know, I, I started as an integration therapist, um, working with a lot of people from the Hopkins studies about 15 years ago, and it was a whole different landscape. Then I barely talked to other mental health practitioners about working with people around psychedelics because there was so much stigma and negative, um, perceptions of it. So it's really interesting now because it's such a mix. I've had clients fired by their psychiatrists because they want to microdose or they want to do psychedelic assisted therapy. Um, and then I have a lot of people in the field who are super supportive. So it's such a, it's such a ranging landscape. Um, I would, you know, as far as parting words for people who might be considering, you know, this, these kind of therapies, um, I think, you know, one is obviously reading, looking in, there's so much research now, um, to look into. There's a lot of great, um, documentaries, like how to change your mind the based on the Michael Pollan book. There's a lot out there that people can just start learning about. And, and it really challenges, um, the stigma, you know, when you look at that chart and, and alcohol <laughs> is, is in free use and, and you see psilocybin at the bottom, but was made into a schedule one drug and deemed as having no therapeutic value. And we know that's not true. It really starts to challenge the stigma. So I would say, do, do your research and then, you know, look to work with people that are really experienced and knowledgeable. I think a lot of people are having interest in this field, um, but don't necessarily have the training and these are powerful medicines. And so they really should be approached with care and respect and um, yeah, so I think, you know, coming to a center like mine, Interpath, where we offer a ton of psychedelic support, um, there's many others that are popping up in the similar ways. But I think, you know, not necessarily just going and, and having a, an experience spontaneously, even though it could turn out wonderfully, it could also, you know, not. <laughs> so approaching with caution. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, they are, they are very strong. You know, and if you want to get some instant results, yep. if you want to feel something <laughs> instantly, 
and feel really good. You know, these are probably good substances to try, you know, SSRIs, you know, I've taken those before and like, oh, you don't really feel anything for three weeks. Yeah. I felt nothing for a year, really. (laughs) So those are, I think that the, the microdosing much better route to go, you get those instant results that you're looking for. And I think for these substances, there's tremendous therapeutic value in them. And I, I think they're just, they're a great place to, if you want to make some shifts and you want to, you know, make some changes in your life and the things you're doing, just, you're just kind of don't really feel like they're working and try something new. 100%. And I would, I would say to that too, just to add, you know, the combination of something like microdosing plus, you know, bringing in practices, you know, because of the neuroplastic window, that combination of beginning to form new habits, bringing in new practices like mindfulness and movement and all of these things while you're microdosing can be life-changing. It's really, really wild. The combination yeah. Like, yeah. So you can take advantage of that window yes. to where you're growing all these new neurons and making new, creating new patterns to do some, do some things that create new patterns, better patterns than what you're yes. doing. And uh, so tell us what your, your website is and how people can work with you. So we can be found at innerpathbaltimore.com. And we offer just about every psychedelic support service that can legally be provided at the moment. Uh, We offer microdose coaching. We offer prep and integration support services for people who are having experiences outside our clinic. Um, And a lot of that's harm reduction, you know, work really helping people to have safe therapeutic experiences outside. And then we offer ketamine assisted therapy as well, among many other services. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it sounds really, really interesting. I love yeah. talking to people like you that are at the forefront of this, you know, pushing this change and, you know, all with the the intention of helping people and, and loving people and helping them, assisting them on their journey mm-hmm. uh, to feel good. And that's what this podcast is all about. Uh, so everyone, thank you so much for joining and listening to the Myers Detox podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. You can learn all about uh, my work, all about detox and emotional detox at myersdetox.com. And thanks for tuning in every week. We are heading in on the 500th episode. Uh, I'm just so thrilled that you guys have stayed with me or maybe you're new, you know, someone new has joined as well, but I have a, a lot more to say, a lot more people to interview. So I've just been such a an honor and a gift to be able to you know, interview all these ex- experts from around the world to help you give you those those clues, those missing pieces of the puzzle that you're looking for uh, that, that could help you on your journey. So thanks for tuning in and I'll see you guys next week. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.